Est-ce que ça va là comme... Euh... Oui, très bien, bon. Warning. Don't be fooled by her status as a monument of the cinema. Monuments don't laugh out loud. Catherine Deneuve never dreamed of being an actress. But since Demi, her demoiselle and her umbrellas, she has become one. Absolutely. She has been shooting film after film at all ages, negotiating career turns, offering her voice and her face, providing there is a good story with its wonders and its torments. Directors were not fooled. The blondest, most beautiful woman had other assets in her game. Commitment, energy, subtlety, talent. So Buñuel, so Truffaut, Polanski, Ferreri, Rizzi, Rapneau, Téchiné, so François Ozon or Emmanuel Berco, polish up your script. She hasn't said her last word. Smoking. Catherine Deneuve is in smoking. Hello, Catherine Deneuve. Bonjour. Hello. Do you still get stage fright? Uh, oui. Yes, but I think it's always been the case. I've always had it. I think I was shy when I was young, but stage fright when you're doing something for the first time, that always happens. Be at parties or special events or the release of a film or going on stage, all that. It's still stage fright. It's quite something. You immediately mentioned shyness. It's a term you often use. You are often described as shy. Is it something that can change or does it stay for life when you are shy? I think my shyness has indeed evolved a lot. I was really very shy when I was young. I used to listen a lot. I used to watch. I didn't like to be asked questions, to be talked about. It put me in a state. So I think what reduced my shyness is having done so many things in public, having worked for so many years, so many years, so many years. My shyness has changed a lot over time, but the stage fright has remained, that's for sure. You've shot with the greatest, whether directors or actors, and you've met people who are, well, top people. Did you let yourself be impressed? Are you impressionable? Um, impressed by people, not so much. But it can happen in situations with strangers, in front of a big crowd. Yes, that can affect me. But people, if I'm meeting them on their own, even if they're unique or great creators, that doesn't faze me too much. I'm not blasé, but it's true that I'm not so impressionable anymore. No, I've seen too many things. So you are impressive. I don't know if you realize it, but have you played on that a lot, this effect you can have on others? Yes, I think so. I've often been told that, and it's true that it ends up discouraging me a bit. But when I'm faced with certain journalists, I say to myself, so much the better. Imagine what questions I would have been asked if it wasn't the case. Anyway, I find that people can write things that are so out of date, so incredible. Well, lucky they were impressed, otherwise it would have been much worse. So you probably played with that. But can being impressive in life also be a hindrance? Uh, no, no, I don't think so, because when people meet me like that, one-on-one, on one, when we talk, I think it falls away quite quickly anyway. What makes you go on a film set? What makes you accept a role? Has that evolved over the years? What makes me accept it? 
What makes me accept? The script, script and then obviously the characters and of course the partners. But for me, the first question remains the story. After all these years, uh, and that's something that can be said about literature too, it's rather strange. You wonder if we still have stories to tell. I don't know, it's something that's absolutely unfathomable, it's endless. You can tell stories in all forms, all times, so many things to transform, to change. It's like music, it can be remade, but it's eternal. I think you can always write things. But that doesn't surprise you. Surprise me? I'm surprised when it's good, because <laughs> that's the problem. It's got to be really good. It's always difficult to read a script. You know right away? You have to reread it. It's the second reading. It depends on the number of characters, the complexity of the scenes. But in general, you get a first impression. Afterwards, I read it again. Uh, I imagine you've read a lot of uh, scripts, but what does it come down to? The talent of the writer, because you can tell a love story that may seem very ordinary if you just tell the facts like a synopsis. Yet what counts is the way it's written, to show things, to make things be said without saying them, by showing them, by filming them. It's a lot of factors. That's why the director is very important. I don't like to read a script without knowing who's going to direct it. I'm almost not interested. Otherwise, you can't get a good idea of the film. And you are very keen, especially in the last few years, to start working with new directors. I've always worked with new directors, even when I was much younger. If the script interests me, yes, I'm quite willing. Of course, there's always a risk, as they say, but it's not so serious. Where is the risk? It's the risk of making a mistake, of finding that someone else's idea doesn't correspond to what you've imagined it to be, which in the end doesn't give you the essence of it all. There are people who can describe things very well, but that doesn't mean they'll be able to produce them. There are directors who don't say much, they don't want to reveal everything. There are others who say a lot. But it doesn't matter. It's the script that has to bring it all to life. What about all the roles you've played? There are so many of them. I haven't counted. 120, 130, maybe more. Oh, yes, it's enormous. What stays with you? You're no doubt going to answer me. It depends on the rules. Sometimes I'm still surprised. It's not that I've forgotten my roles, but there are some films I haven't seen for a long time. I don't watch them years later. Never? It's not never. In principle, no. I don't have time to watch all my films again. Sometimes I see them twice, for previews in the provinces or if the film is released abroad. But in general, if the film is shown on television, no, I don't watch it. It's like an extraordinary many-layer trifle. There are things there, they're present, and at the same time, they're buried. It's all intertwined, and sometimes you don't even realize it. Sometimes you see extracts from films that take you back to memories of certain shoots that you don't necessarily remember all the time. If we put them all on the table, you rose, which would be a strange idea, would it be like a kaleidoscope, a puzzle that would reveal who you are? 
Ah, ça, je suis pas sûr. Oh, I'm not sure. Non, parce que no. je pense qu'il y a des fois, les choses repartent. I think there are times when things go off in other directions. It's not a linear progression. I think there are things that overlap, that seem to be similar, that are almost the same, but that differ in the end. I think it's more like a, a zigzag. That says something about you. Oh, oui, sûrement, mais moi, ça m'intéresse pas. Yes, probably. But I'm not interested. Well, I might be interested in thinking about it, but I'm certainly not interested in talking about it, no. In any case, I imagine that you give a lot of yourself each time. Is the opposite true? Is there a kind of communicating system where Rose can also bring things to you in life and maybe even transform you? There are films that can make an impression on you, mark you during a shoot or sometime afterwards, but I don't really think that it changes you. I think that each time it allows you, despite the passing of time, despite the number of people you've met, to learn something, to move forward. It's not bit by bit, it's more of an overall effect. There are so many films, every spectator has their favorites. Do you also have your favorites, or is it impossible for you to choose? It's true that shooting with André Téchiné was important, especially because we shot over many years fairly regularly. So there was something strong that's been woven, which makes it harder for me to let go when the filming stops. And it's also true of the films I shot with François Truffaut. They leave a mark on you. They leave you with something that's very connected, very intertwined. It's true that you have to have the impression that you can discover something when you make a new film. The fear is that because you know how to do it very well, you know immediately, more or less, that you're on a track, and that wouldn't please me at all. You are beautiful, Anna, so beautiful that looking at you is a pain. Yesterday, you said it was a joy. It's a joy and a pain. There's an incredible story around this dialogue. It appears in both The Last Metro and The Mississippi Mermaid by François Truffaut, doesn't it? Yes, and there's another director who tried to use it. It bothered me a little. It was François Ozon when we made Eight Women in the scene with Fanny Ardon. Seeing you is both a joy and a pain. Well, Marion Steiner in The Last Metro, obviously, with Depardieu and also The Mississippi Mermaid. Before that, in 69, by Truffaut again with Jean-Paul Belmondo. When you read the script of The Last Metro, did you immediately notice that it was the same line? No, so I'll say one thing. When we shot the script, we got the dialogues as we went along. He wrote them every day as we went along, so we shot in order. We started by filming on the island of Reunion, and then we came back to France, to Grenoble. We got the dialogues every day, every evening. He only gave them to us the day before the shoot. It was very difficult for him too. It was a very risky challenge. The Last Metro is one of your biggest successes. Yes. Does the level of success have anything to do with the good memory you have of a film or not at all? 
No, it's got nothing to do with it. It's a very good memory, though, because it was a very good shoot. It was a very good script, and everybody talks about that. It wasn't just the actors, it was really everyone. Everyone involved in the film really felt like they were making a very good film. It's quite rare that it happens like that. Uh, sometimes, are there difficult shoots that result in good films, too? Oh yes, of course. For me, Belle de Jour was a difficult shoot, and I think the film is good. And curiously, when I saw it again much later in New York, when the film was released in the States, I found it even funnier than the memory I had of it. I didn't remember it as being such a funny film, because the shoot had been quite difficult for me. But it's true that seeing it again like that, it really made me smile. I want to stay with you. No, you don't. Bastard. That's Lovers Like Us. That's Yves Montan, yes, absolutely, yes. Oh, you got that straight away. Oh, yes, I remember the scene. It's, it's the sentence. Yes, I see straight away what it is. It's me who wants to leave with him. I have on a navy blue jacket. I'm there outside the house, on the beach. When he decides to leave, and I want to stay with him. Jean-Paul Rapneau, 1975, very popular success. This film is important. It may not seem like it in the whole of your filmography, but I have the impression that it's important all the same. Ah, but for me, it's always been like that. It's always been an important film. First of all, because it's a real comedy. It's really so difficult to write a comedy, to write roles like that. It's quite rare. But it was, after all, Jean-Louis Dabadi, who was a very good writer, and Rapineau, when he talks about things, you always get the impression that he's making a kind of music. And it's true that comedy has to be a bit musical. So I remember it very well. It's a really difficult genre. Comedy? Comedy. I was very, very happy to do a comedy. I had already done La Vie de Chateau with him. And it was a very, very good shoot. And this one was too. But yes, I like it a lot because it's really very rare that you get the opportunity to do comedies. And then we discovered you in a different way. You knew you could do it. But from the audience's point of view, we didn't know. Yes, but there are always things to discover, but yes, I understand. It doesn't surprise you more than that. Well, I'm happy to think of the audience afterwards, once they've seen the film. Otherwise, I never think about the audience when I'm making things or when I'm shooting. Never. And God knows, I really love people. That's something that's part of filmmaking for me. And I also don't take that into account when I'm reading a script, when I'm trying to make a decision. I never think about the audience. So I think much more selfishly, yes. And you come from a family of actors. Uh, your parents were actors. Yes, but my mother had more or less stopped working by the time I was a teenager. My father was mostly doing theatre and a lot of dubbing. We were a unit of girls. There were many of us. And our life was more our own. We didn't think much about the cinema, except at weekends with my parents' friends. Especially my father's, friends from the cinema or from the radio, who came to our house, some of whom I knew and recognised afterwards when I was older. But otherwise our life was pretty ordinary. My parents were very busy. We were four girls after all. But you weren't really planning to go down that path, were you? 
Non, pas du tout. Non, pas du tout. Non, non, c'est ma sœur vraiment qui était... Euh, oui. No, it was my sister who was really destined for it. That's how I started. They were looking for an actress to play the role of the daughter in a film. But what did you want to do? Did you have an idea? I was very attracted to everything that was architecture, drawing, painting. But that doesn't mean that I painted well. I was just more attracted to those things at that time, yes. Your longevity is incredible. Maybe you don't like talking about things like that. My longevity as an actress, it's true that for actors and actresses, it's often quite difficult. We know very great actors or actresses, and we say to ourselves that there were interruptions. For women, you often speak of a black hole because of the years when there was this gap. It's true that I was lucky enough to make a very important film at that particular time in my life and in my career as an actress. It was when I made The Last Metro, at an age when it's quite difficult. So I was lucky that afterwards I was offered roles that were very different from what I was doing before that film, roles where I had responsibilities, where I had to create things, have an active life and take decisions. It's true that that gave me a certain direction to the propositions I received afterwards. I think that it was really a very important key moment, because in general, it's an age that's a real milestone, a real gaping hole, which can last a few years and sometimes even more, even forever. But perhaps it was you who knew how to take certain turns. You knew how to try things at the right time. You don't see it that way? No, I didn't see it No, I didn't see it like that. No, I saw it as an evolution for me, also in relation to what I was reading, what I wanted, what I was being offered. My role is a bit passive. I receive the scripts, I don't write them. So the only thing I was able to do at a given moment was to realize, not often, but sometimes, that the role proposed was a little too young for me. Not often, but it did happen. I couldn't remain a young girl after all, that's also the point. It's not at all obvious for women, for young women. But that also means that you have this lucidity about yourself. Yes, that's true. I'm quite lucid, yes. And is that rather positive or not really? A little too much lucidity can be a problem. But frankly, I think it's rather an advantage in life, especially in the acting profession. I think it makes you more demanding in your choices. The day you stop, well, there is no hurry, huh? Eh? But uh, <laughs> it will happen. When there are no more scripts that interest me, it'll happen like that. Unfortunately, it's not me who will decide. I'm hoping it won't be like that. But I'm not going to struggle out of pride. I'm going to stop before I'm stopped. No, no, that's not what I want to say. I mean, things are so difficult, especially today. I hope that I'll make my decisions not only because they're imposed on me, but because I impose them on myself without it being a pain. I wanted to show you a room, a secret room here, if you'd like to come with me. I'll just show you. I'll follow you. Here, I'll let you open it. What a horror. All this light, all these mirrors. It's a bit of an allegory for you, isn't it? Is it? You've been scrutinized so much, looked at so much all your life. Isn't that true? Yes. I've had a lot of advantages. But it's also been difficult for me to respond positively to an imposed image that you've been given without feeling totally invented. 
an image that you nevertheless try to keep, to maintain. At one point, you were described as the most beautiful woman in the world. Look, it's been said many times in many cases for many others. Not that many. It's true that I remember it very well. But it's also true that it creates a situation where you have to live up to this ideal. Well, yes, certain expectations. It was obviously a more difficult time for me. Pressure? Yes, physically, to be what's expected of you. Yes, of course. But at the same time, in other ways, it also forces you to look after yourself, whereas you could very well let yourself go in life when you're not working, when you're not shooting. No, it's like gymnastics. That's what you have to do and keep in good shape. But it also depends on the image of yourself that you project in your head. It's a bit of a torture. Uh, let's go and sit down again. Yes, well, you know, it's not ideal. <laughs> it seems to me that you were able to impose a distance, or maybe it was a necessity for you. And that's my nature. But because I think that very young, I was confronted with a very, very tough press. So very, very young, I was marked by that. And it upset me so much that they could talk about you like that. I was very, very young at the time. So I decided to bring down a kind of leaden blanket around me. There are things really, it's my life, and there's no way I'm going to start talking about myself or writing about things like that, saying things without it being checked. It's always very difficult, even now, it still happens to me. It happened to me recently and it was really very violent, it really shocked me, really shocked me, especially because there was a bias. Someone who was in a very well-known newspaper, a woman I don't know, and above all, whom I didn't want to meet, because I knew she'd want to probe into everything, that she had a hidden agenda. So I didn't want to do this interview and it was done without me and it was written, it was such a lie from a very well-known journalist. It was so blatant that in the end it didn't affect me as much as it could have. But it hurt me a lot, especially in relation to my family. All this was really very, very difficult. It was really unfair. It was so wrong in my eyes. I won't forget it. It was very cruel. There is a constant. It's elegance, and maybe physical elegance corresponds with an inner elegance. Do you have a definition of where elegance comes from? Listen, I think it comes from my parents, from a good upbringing. It was a large family. We were girls. And my parents were always fun-loving. But they had a very good moral code. Yes, it's all that. It's a, it's a good upbringing. It's also all the things we read. It's our education. I'm very excessive, very direct. So it's all one thing or another. And then elegance in the true sense of the word. It's even been exported. You've been described as the French beauty and so on. Because I have a natural reserve too. I think it's a reserve. It's not really manufactured. It's my character, I think. 
anywhere an ambassador. That's quite something to be an ambassador for a brand. I mean for Saint Laurent. Uh, oui, oui. Yes. And right up to these last days, you're in a photo campaign. Yes, it's the evolution of this great maison that I've known for a very, very long time. And right up to when Yves Saint Laurent passed away. But it's true that uh, it's a maison I've known really well and followed through the years. It's true that as time went by and there were changes, I kept a link and I happened to meet the new designer for the Saint Laurent Festival in Marrakech. Anthony Vaccarello? Anthony Vaccarello, oui. Anthony Vaccarello, with whom I got on really well and liked. I liked what he did and what he said. And his shyness, too. Yes, I, I like him a lot. I would have liked to live through some paradoxes with you, because I love paradoxes, and it seems to me that you have a certain number of them. You could almost make a necklace out of them. So... Uh, to be the focus of people's eyes and yet keep the mystery. It's more secret than mystery. We aren't the ones creating the mystery. Mystery happens. It's not something we can impose. I don't think so. But rather the secret. They go together. They're not the same, though. Uh, between being looked at a lot and keeping secrets. Yes, but it happens to be my nature, really. Even with my friends, it's true. I have relationships like that. Very. You see, it's not people I see like that in public, that I talk to in public. I'm more for small groups. And when there are a lot of people, and it's with people I know, it's true that it's different. I would almost say that secrecy has always been natural for me. It's a survival thing. Do you have many friends? No, 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 I have a few friends, yes. But I've had them for a very long time. So, um, never having directed a film and at the same time... I've never wanted to. But yet, according to what people say, on a shoot you see everything... You know everything. The essential is still missing. Which is? Just because you can see everything, hear everything, take part in everything, that's not what gives you the eye of a director, someone who's going to do something and do something well. Something original, something personal, something that no one's imagined before. Because obviously I can see a lot of things in a practical way, I know the work habits, but that doesn't give me the ability to make a film, a personal film. I'm sure you could have. Technically, I could, with a little bit of help, yes, of course. But for me, that's not the main thing. It's not at all essential for me to make a film. It's true, I'm very impressed when I see others doing it. Although I do have some doubts about actors and actresses who make films. But some actors' films are great, although I have some reservations. To be the incarnation of womanhood and to be described sometimes as virile... Well, that's true, yes. I find that true. I think it was Depardieu who first said that. But it seems quite true to me. In the same way that I like feminine men a lot, it's true that I'm quite masculine, yes. That means you've led your own life. 
Moi, je ne suis pas sûre d'avoir mené la vie, sauf que la vie a été dans cette direction-là. Je n'ai pas décidé de tout. Non, je ne suis pas sûre que j'ai directé ma vie comme ça. Il juste se passe que la vie a été dans cette direction-là. Il juste se passe que la vie a été dans cette direction-là. Il juste se passe que la vie a été dans cette direction-là. Il juste se passe que la vie a été dans cette direction-là. Il juste se passe que la vie a été dans cette direction-là. Mais je n'étais pas toujours moi qui ai décidé tout. Quelque chose se passe. C'est simplement que j'ai trouvé que je me suis dans situations à un très jeune âge, où il faut, disons, élever un enfant, tout ça, commencer à avoir des relations. Oui, ça c'est vrai. But it was more in my personal life. Yes, that's true. I was very young. I couldn't always share everything easily with certain men. So what do you put behind virile? I think it's a way of being with men as well as with women, yes. I need to think about that. <laughs> Having raised the child alone, indeed... Having signed the manifesto, raising a child alone isn't a goal either, frankly. These things unfortunately happen, but you have to accept the responsibility, that's it. But sometimes when you're very young, you don't think about it. Having signed the manifesto in 1971 in favor of the right to abortion and, at the same time, not claiming to be a feminist... When there are too many feminists, it's true that I find it a bit more difficult sometimes. I know I'm really for women, I understand. But if it goes too far, I can't be a part of it. I'm not feminist enough to be in a movement like that. I'm very feminist, really, I think, but not in an official way. Last paradox, being so well-known all over the world as Catherine Deneuve and preferring Catherine Darleac. Ah, je m'en sers quand même. Ah, uh, uh-huh. I still use it often, maybe more today, for official identity purposes, all that. Before it was very easy. They put two names on your papers, your passport, all that. Now you really have to choose, so finally I've become more used to it. Sometimes to ask for things, I say Dorléac for the bank, for example. I say to myself that it's someone they don't know as well, or that they don't realize at the time, and it's still my name, so... What's the difference? Catherine Deneuve is what they call me, but it'll never really be my name. I'm really Dorléac. Yes, Deneuve is still my name as an actress. I signed Deneuve, but I signed Dorléac more than I used to. Yet it's true that for me, Deneuve is me as an actress, and when people say it, it is a part of me. But Dorléac is my real name, yes. Last sequence, Catherine Deneuve. A flurry of quick questions and answers, if possible, as they come. Is that okay? We'll see, I hope so. Your favorite means of transport. Well, it's not easy to say. In general, it's driving, the car. If you had the opportunity to relive a decade, which one would you choose? Ah, je pense pas la période la plus jeune où j'ai pas été vraiment la période. I don't think the youngest period when I wasn't really the happiest. I think so. I think I'd choose after my son was born instead. So yes, the 70s, well after. If you had a week ahead of you with no strings attached, where would you go? Soit en Corse, soit en Italie. Either Corsica or Italy. And what would you do? Rien. Nothing. 
Nothing. I walk, I go for a stroll, I have lunch in a restaurant, I visit things. I like Corsica very much, and Italy, it's true. There are so many places, so many beautiful things to see, having dinner with friends, having lunch with friends. It's a very, very beautiful country. I like Italy very much. I speak enough Italian to feel comfortable, so there you go. Another Catherine who fascinates you. Fascinates me? There isn't another Catherine who fascinates me. Fascinate? Frankly, no. Love or beloved? Rather love. A song that makes you feel good. Probably a song by Julien Clerc. Today, Benjamin Biolet. You're organizing a dinner party. You can invite whoever you want, dead or alive. You can choose. It's a dinner party that's both unreal and very concrete. Who do you invite? Well, my daughter for sure, because she has a lot of wit. She's intelligent. She's really funny. And I'll be um, inviting some directors I like. I'll look for a painter and a poet. I'll look for a journalist. No, not a journalist, a writer. Yes, certainly. But I can't come up with other names quickly. And then, of course, a close friend. The film you have seen the most in your life. The Night of the Hunter. I've seen it several times. The film Singing in the Rain, which I've seen several times too. And then films like It's a Wonderful Life, the film that came back not so long ago during this difficult period for everyone with Covid. The film that came back on television with a huge success by Capra. Your favourite season? Late spring, early summer. How would you end on a high note? I'd like to, well, to see your face without a mask. Maybe, I don't know, to have a glass of wine or a glass of champagne, a very small glass for me. There you go, a simple, friendly word, and the hope that soon we'll all be able to meet in person. That's it. Thank you very much, Catherine Deneuve. Ah, I don't have stage fright anymore. Ah, Ah, you see? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.